Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. We want to welcome you this week as we continue in the book of Acts with the Jesus Movement. Let's jump in and see what God's Word has for us from our lead pastor, Antoine Lassiter. We are in the book of Acts. Has anyone been um, reading ahead in the book of Acts? Okay, cool. All right. Okay. Yeah, so you know where we're going. So we're right at Acts chapter 7, verse uh, 54. And um, if you have not had an opportunity to uh, hear all of the, of the Jesus movement, this is the series that we're um, focusing on, uh, what we call it the Jesus movement, because this is when the church begins to advance and the church is moving. And the good news is as the church moves, people hear the gospel. But as the church moves, people also get killed. That was drastic. But in the reality of it is, the, the reality is that this is the advancing of God's kingdom. So Acts chapter 7, verse 54 is what we're going to focus on through the end of the verse, uh, end of the chapter. Um, but it starts off with um, some, some dramatic, it starts off in a dramatic fashion. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, these, the, the, what they is, are referring to uh, the Sanhedrin. Um, uh, uh, it's the religious folks. And Stephen walks them through um, just how, just, man, he just walks them through the Old Testament. And you got to remember that the New Testament is written for us, but during this time, they will pull from the Old Testament. So you can't divorce um, the Old Testament from the New Testament. Um, you have to actually connect the two because what Stephen was actually sharing, the, he was sharing the gospel, but he was walking through their history as a people, the Jewish people. So they heard these things and they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Now, I don't know what that means. But they were upset. Um, they gnashed their teeth at him. Like, I don't know. You got to be mad. Like, you, I've been mad, but I've never growled. Like, so whatever he said before was bad. And so um, we talked about that last week. And I want you to see this. So he preaches and he talks about Moses. He talks about Joseph. He talks about Abraham, the found, the, the ancestors of the Jewish faith, not the Jewish faith, but the ancestors of the Jewish people. And they heard these things and they were enraged and they gnashed their teeth at right? And then Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stop right there. So while they're growling at him and gnashing their teeth, Stephen is continually being referred to as full of the Holy Spirit. That may have been intimidating for most of us if we were sharing the gospel and, and we were sharing our faith. And while we were sharing, people got mad and they started growling at us. And most of us would have been like, okay, obviously you don't want to hear what I got to say. But Stephen, because he was so full of the Holy Spirit, he just looked into heaven. Man, he looked. It's like what the songwriter used to say. I look to the hills which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. And so he looks and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, this is crazy because when you often hear Jesus being at the right hand of the Father, he's pictured sitting. 
something happens now. He's standing. And I don't, I got goosebumps because it's like how you, you picture him sitting at the right hand of the father, but something got his attention. And, and something, something's happening, man. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and then Stephen in verse number 56, he says, look, woof, I see the heavens opened. And the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Man, you gotta you gotta feel the tension in the air because the the folks who are upset um, they have their place. When you go back and look at church history, Old Testament, you see the Sanhedrin, you see the high priest. They were gatekeepers. So Moses gets tired, and there's a lot of people. And so what Moses uh, Moses what Moses um, um, Moses' father-in-law says, "Hey, you take too much on yourself." You need, a, you need to appoint men. You need to appoint elders to help judge and to help hold court. And so the Sanhedrin goes all, go all the way back to the children of Israel getting out of Egypt. And, 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 and their primary job was to administer justice. And now look at them. They're trying to be the justice bringers. But they're so far from what their intended purposes are that they think justice now is to kill people in his name. So what you see is this crazy uh, tension. Verse number 57, they yelled at the top of their voices. They were trying to drown him out. And then not only did they try to drown him out, they covered their ears so they wouldn't have to hear him. And together rushed against him. I mean, they're going off. I mean, I've been mad. But man, there's something going on with them. In verse number 58, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, Saul, um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Saul, um, he's a part of this. Uh, he's a part of this gang of thieves. He's a part of this Sanhedrin. And so he's watching. And it's funny that, um, you know, we'll get to it, but some believe that Saul was the one that sort of like, yeah, we're doing the right thing. And he is witnessing them so upset that they rushed against him. But listen what verse six says, 60. He knelt down speaking of Stephen, and cry with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. <laughs> Man, you good. Well, Lord, and he's good because he's full of the Holy Spirit. And after saying this, he fell asleep. I want you to see this picture that the scripture is painting. So you have the Sanhedrin that becomes the gatekeepers and it's all the way back to Moses. And now what you have here um, is them um, upholding the things of God. And so when something happens or there's a contrary belief or there's something that's foreign to them, they believe that they should be the gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers now are administering justice by dragging Stephen out and stoning him. Now, this is brutal because what they would do is they'll drop you off maybe two stories 
and then sometimes the fall will kill you. If the fall don't kill you, they take a big stone and drop it on you. If that don't kill you, then it just keeps stoning you until you die. This is how they administer justice. And scholars would say that they violated Roman law because in order for you to actually do this, uh, you had to get permission. But what they heard was so upsetting to them, they literally took the law into their own hands. Something, this is crazy. And so uh, it's interesting because when you go back to their history, this court that uh, the scriptures or the Sanhedrin was a part of was designed to settle disputes. Um, Because, you know, with, with people, disputes occasionally happen. Occasionally. I I know we don't know about disputes, but I heard it said that sometimes uh, God's folk don't get along. Not here, but outside here. So we don't have disputes here. Um, But uh, so they built this system to execute justice according to the will of God. So they had all these folks here to um, execute justice. And so they had a system that became an institution, but the institution was sanctioned by God because as long as the system was connected to the will of God, uh, justice was administered appropriately. And so there is a balance here because institutions were created to administer justice. So we saw back in Acts chapter 6, a structure or system, if you will, was built to take care of the widows. So there was a daily distribution uh, to the needed, um, to, the, to, to those who needed things. And so the people of God, New Testament, Acts chapter 6, they created a way to make sure people had enough food, make sure the needs were taken care of. And so the whole point of that system, Tiffany, was to make sure that the people of God, their needs were being met. And this happened over and over again. So uh, the system itself, ordained by God, wasn't bad. As long as it was uh, led by the Spirit. But something started to shift um, many, many moons later. And we're starting to see it here. Because if systems aren't evaluated over a certain amount of time, the systems can become an institution and unhealthy institutions over time are more concerned with sustaining themselves, the institution, than understanding the purpose of why they were founded. But let's get back to the Sanhedrin because we don't have that. We don't experience this today. And so... Uh, What you have are the gatekeepers now were not called to be gatekeepers. They were called to administer the will of God. And but when you become more concerned with protecting the institutions, then you fail to advance the kingdom of God. You it's human nature to think that we are better than other people. The real problem with the Sanhedrin was that they have built who they are on their legacy. So here's what I want you to see, the arrogance, right? So they're the people of God. And they were given um, the law. God chose them and God gave them the law. 
and God, um, God gives them the law. And over time, um, it was their calling card. They became arrogant because they got it first. And then when you sometimes get it first, you try to keep everyone out. They were what we were considered, I don't know, uh, privileged. Um, and the challenge with being privileged is that your expectations for other people is when they rise to your standard. And so you have this playing out, but, and that's what gatekeepers do. So let me just go in front of this and then I'll back up. Gatekeepers pretend that they only have the truth. And there's no room to wrestle some hard truths. And so I'm getting ahead and, and, and I'm treading lightly, but I don't care. Because if we don't speak these hard truths, we make soft Christians. And sometimes, Josiah, you just got to go through the front door and stop trying to climb through windows to appease people. And, and this is what's staring in because, listen, we all need to have healthy self-esteem. But the scriptures are not about having healthy self-esteem. Um, the scriptures, uh, yes, the scriptures are about having esteem, but having healthy self-esteem because sometimes we live on these two polar opposites. We're either arrogant and ain't nobody can tell us something, anything, or we feel sorry for ourselves and we just ride in this self-pity. The scriptures assume that we have a healthy love for ourselves. But... Um, <sighs> See, if we feel better about ourselves based on what we do, it creates a distorted view of ourselves. And this distortion can lead to being prideful. And being, becoming prideful, uh, we, we graduate to becoming independent from God. So, so that doesn't mean that we should strive to have no or low self-esteem, the point is that our sense of being a good person should not depend on what we do or accomplish, but rather who we are in Christ. And this is what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 16 and 2. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And so what does this got to do with the Sanhedrin? You lost me because we will find alternatives to hold on to because we don't have a right self-image of who God created us to be. And so what we have a tendency to do, Josh, is we have this mask or we have this approach to godliness by our behavior. What we do. And that's why Matthew 7 scares me, because he says, you did this in my name, but I don't know you. How can you do things in his name and don't know him? That I wrestle with that. You mean you you prophesy, you you cast out devils in Jesus name and he don't know you. You made a reservation and got confirmation. No, you, you made a reservation and never got confirmation. So you show up and your name's not on the list. 
and people are walking past you and you like, oh, could, you, could you please just check it one more time? Maybe I use my middle name. And this is, so we are all broken fragments of pieces without God. But somehow along the way, the Sanhedrin forgot. Some, some, man, like our worth comes from God. And as I build this case, I'm taking my time. And I, uh, the first point I want to make, we are defined by God for God. You got to know this. That your adherence to the observance of the, the law can reflect an outward spirituality, an outward relationship with God. But God is more concerned with your heart than what you do. Because you always do what you believe. So most, many of us are living in a tension of I'm playing the part, but I'm just a character. I'm not even real. And so for the Jews and specifically the Sanhedrin, it was their family tree that they held their identity in. They somehow felt like they were God's favorite and they was God's favorite because he chose to give the law to them first. They got it first. And as I mentioned before, sometimes being first makes you feel privileged. But being first comes with a whole set of responsibilities. And so the irony was that the Sanhedrin, the religious folks of the day, they knew they were sinners, but they thought because they knew the law, they had spiritual and special privileges. Paul says this in Romans chapter 2. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a God for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach the must, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's not using the Lord's name in vain per se. It's using his name and still sinning. It's having the goods. No, it's having the sign without the merchandise. And what Paul is talking to is the religious folks. That you know the law and choose not to obey it, but you preach it, you teach it, but you don't live it. And this is what he's saying. He's saying that you are relying on your works and not the works of Jesus because you have become self-righteous. Self-righteousness or self-righteous Christians no longer base their attitudes on God's word, but their own. The self-righteous person's beliefs are centered around themselves, their clique, their tribe, 
everyone else is wrong. So how I see scripture becomes the launch pad of how I see you. And if, if, if I don't demonstrate love, as long as I know the law, I'm good. So we are, uh, so there are religious in the negative sense of the word. And there is this his, hypocrisy that Paul is writing. Paul, Paul wrote this. But Paul was also the witness of Stephen's murder. So Paul is being transformed right before our eyes. And so here is the secret sauce. Not the secret sauce, but you know what I'm talking about. Often the self-righteous are the religious. So somebody just said, thank God I'm not the religious. You know what I'm talking about. Um, But... The self-righteous are also the non-religious, so-called spiritual. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. But they are the same corn, just different sides. Because both can be breeding grounds for the privileged and the entitled. Being spiritual um, sometimes is being equated to being deinstitutionalized, focusing on the individual while the religious are heavy institutional collect and focusing on the collective, the tribe. So these two extremes are more alike than they are different. They use the same tactics, just stand opposite of one another. Both the so-called religious and the non-religious or the spiritual, um, they both, if they're not careful, they redefine God. God is just, you know, you and just what you want to experience. And that's why I don't believe in this religion. Well, being spiritual is a sort of religion of its own. Both are movements rooted in self. One is self-expression and the other is self-preservation. Both have their identities rooted in self. And so when you look at the response of the religiousness of the Sanhedrin, you see they lack humility. And when you don't have humility, anything that comes against, even in the name of God, when you don't have humility, when things come against the name of God, you feel like it's your responsibility to defend him. Newsflash, God don't need you. This is tough. But believing that you are somehow moral superior to these crazy religious folks is not the remedy either. Most people, when they think of religion, they think of rules and regulations. And um, sometimes being spiritual means playing loose with rules and regulations. It's like being on the Audubon of the spiritual experience. Whatever you feel. One of them is so dogmatic and legalistic you can't breathe. And the other is so free it leads, both lead to destruction. And so the religious sometimes use the scripture to justify their behavior. While the non-religious uses the promotion of self and their angst against the religious to justify theirs. 
So we're in this war of the so-called religious and non-religious, and we keep throwing around these terms, I'm deconstructed, I'm, I'm woke, I'm not woke. We keep using these terms, and I'm just a simple country boy trying to figure out just how to love people as demonstrated by how God loved me. I'm not concerned. We should not be concerned about the labels. We can't even eat with certain people because God forbid they call us gluttons. God forbid they call us drunks. Sounds like who, what they call Jesus. And I keep wrestling with, can we just simply get back to Jesus? Like how we demonstrate love and I can't connect with him because his doctrine ain't right. But through your doctrine, I don't see the demonstration of love. And then you have the other side of the coin. I love everybody. And there's no, there's no law. There's nothing. It's just love. No, that ain't true either. So we got these rules and regulations. They have their place. But a religion that highlights the rules and regulations over anything else always leads to legalism. So here's my, let me just break it down to simpler terms. So I have become very disciplined in how I eat. Because I need to lose weight and I need to get whole and I need to get healthy. And so here's what I have a tendency to do, Natasha. See you eating a cheeseburger and be like, mm, mm, mm. oh, man, all those carbohydrates and all that sauce and those condiments, shame on her. Like I won't kill a cheeseburger right now. <laughs> but sometimes you hate in others what you see in yourself. And so now all of a sudden I can't, I can't have a lunch with people who eat food that I can't eat. No, I can't do that. Mm-mm, no. And what's happening is because I have not arrived and I'm still teetering. So why don't I just admit that I'm tempted to do what you're doing? But self-righteousness is like, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this, knowing that secretly at best you struggle with the same thing. And what I'm trying to come against this season, which is hard, homosexuality is not my biggest concern. Abortion is not my biggest concern. It's, ooh, it's wrong, and yes, but God has called me to love people. And that's hard. What's your stance on this? And what's your stance on that? And you need to lead people this way. I'm trying to be like Jesus. And Jesus turned his nose up against the religious And he loved on the people who were blinded. And I'm wrestling with this. I can't have a relationship with this person because they are against this or they're for this. And so now I'm watching scripture. I'm like, how did Jesus navigate all this mess? I was talking to Haywood before service, and I was saying, here you got the son of man. He only has 33 years, and, and he's walking with people, and, and, and he's walking with them, and he's having dinner and lunch with people, and he knows he's running out of time. And you know what he did? He just loved on people. And there's an urgency that I have to make my point and opinion known. And there's something that keeps creating this tension that I'm in. 
Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with having a, a system of, like, I, I do prayer every 8 a.m. and, I mean, 7, a, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. And I sit on the bed and I hold my hands and I talk to God. There are some rituals, but the rituals are not um, designed to be a ritual within itself. It's designed to be a relationship building for self. Can't make you read God's word. Can't make you love your wife. Can't make you agree with doctrinal truths that I hold dear to. But you can't make me stop loving you. And this is the wave of, of, of I believe that this season that we're in is calling us to be a part of. False humility and their heart. Their harsh treatment of others have become a bragging rights. And then, so we got this tension that we're living in and we got memes that are not building people up. It's demeaning. Because you want to make and accentuate your stance, you are not loving. Loving is not excusing behavior, but loving is considering yourself lest you fall. And religion... Is a cup clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. And this is what is troubling your pastor. Legalists may appear to be righteous and spiritual, but legalism ultimately fails to accomplish God's purpose because it is an outward performance instead of inward change. Matthew 23 says it this way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. See, the remedy for all of this is relationship with Jesus. I know, I know, this isn't some divine revelation. I'm just reminding you of the obvious. See, it's just, so what we have with the spiritual folk on the other side, pastor's just me and Jesus, okay? But it's also uh, you and Jesus, you and your wife, you and your sons, you and your job, you and your neighborhood, you and Beals. Like, it's not just you and, and Jesus. It's all of it. I know what you're saying, but if you and Jesus uh, causes you to be alone, that ain't Jesus. There's something that has to, brother, you cannot love me and hate my wife. We're a package deal. So, so I got folks de deconstructed from church. Maybe I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the church, period. And I also realize that church comes in different forms. I get it. But forsaking the assembly of any gathering ain't right. Because you can't love the groom and despise his bride. Yes, you've been hurt. Yes, it's hard. Yes, I love God, but his children get on my nerves. Yes. but I don't divorce myself from his children. And so if you know the law, but lack the spirit, you become a legalist. But if you have some semblance of the spirit without the law, you become a zealot, you become a, you become a fanatic. So you have these practices of, of, of rhythms, we call them rhythms, but we, we practice these rhythms of personal devotion. We practice these rhythms of prayer. We practice these rhythms, these rhythms 
of smaller groups, and then you have the corporate gathering. All these things are good, but all these things are designed to build our relationship with God. Worship here on Sunday, um, if this is the only time you're worshiping, you will leave incomplete. Because by the time you hit that parking lot and check that, those two text messages, by the time you're doing spiritual push-ups, one arms, and then you get to work and she looked at you funny. Now you got, now, now everything you heard is last 40 minutes. So how do we keep leaving it, living on the brink of falling apart? Rhythms are we created? Because here's the balance to this. I don't want you to become religious. And now you're here, you're serving, and the outward appearance looks good. But you're crying all the way home and feel so empty. And, and this is, and so you, you just keep putting, you just keep putting fertilizer on that. You get the, sa- the, san- the Sanhedrin. You get the council. That's now a ministering law that they can't keep. Ain't that crazy? You're judging other people and their sin without judging yourself first. Man, it's easy to look on what the world is doing or what people who should know better doing. And now you become the counsel of a ministering justice for Jesus. That's not what he's called us to do. If you don't get your religion right, if you don't get this right or it's incomplete, um, you're what the world, I don't have time to cover it to, today, um, but if you don't get your religion right, and if you don't, if religion without relationship um, always leads to rebellion. So here the Sanhedrin are coming in the name of the Lord and the Lord don't know them. And they're executing justice. So Acts chapter seven, verse um, number 60 he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. And Stephen dies peacefully, despite the cause of his death. Brutal. Yet he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Dying well is living right. That's what, remember, the characteristics of Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. The characteristics of Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit and full of grace and power. And so God, in his his midst of all this chaos, you know what he does? He looks up and asks for their forgiveness. Here's what I want you to deal with. Death doesn't make him a martyr. Death revealed it. And so what, what, what Stephen was, Stephen wasn't superhuman. He wasn't Superman. He, he, he wasn't Superman, but he was empowered by the Spirit. And what gives us hope is that same Spirit is available for us. See, most of us think about dying for what's right or dying for his name. Here's a novel thought. You probably won't leave here and preach the gospel and get stoned. Probably won't happen. And so I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you to die for his name. 
I know this sounds crazy, but I want you to leave today preparing to live for him. Persecution may not come in a way that's so real as what we read about Stephen. And, and we may not experience what our brothers and sisters in China are experiencing in these underground churches. And so they're forced to go underground so they can advance the kingdom. And their worship is being sung by folks who don't have the voices to lead. The, the, the songs are being sent, are being sung with, from those who just uh, have a desperate, desperate desire to be with Jesus. It, it, their, their, their services are not meant to be um, to, to, to tickle everyone's fancy or comfortable. What they have experienced is the persecution that's coming against them and the desire to make him known. And so I'm not asking you to look and pick out fights. I'm asking you to love people. Let's not be the religious who forget our own need for the gospel. Let's not forget that we are sinners who recognize the need for God's grace and recognize other sinners who need that same grace. Let's not be the non-religious who simply rail against the religious and fight against everything that looks organized or institutionalized. Hmm. Do you have a bylaws? Absolutely. Oh, we're against you. No, because some of these systems are, are designed to shepherd. So I'll give you an example. A person comes in, they need help. And what this person wants to do is just, hey, I need $100. Church, give me $100. What's the problem? Well, here's the problem. Uh, we ain't got money like that. So here's what we do. We ask questions. Go figure. We talked about the widows last a couple weeks ago and how um, the scriptures in, in 2 Timothy define what a widow was. If you had sons, then your son's first obligation is to take care of the widow. We come to the church with our hands open and out. I need this. Give me this. That's not scriptural. If we relationship, I should be all in your business because you should be in mine. But when you start holding people accountable, you want the relationship, you want the benefits of the relationship without the responsibility. And I see that not just from person to person, but we want the benefits of being Christ followers without the responsibility of being Christ followers. And this is not, this message is a feel-good message for anyone who's trying to do better because the whole gist of this message is we can't do it without his help. So my cry today is, Lord, help me. Because we can be Christ followers who love one another and also hold each other accountable and challenge each other other. And to live out the gospel is to experience the grace of God and wanting to share that grace with others. It's recognizing the sin in me 
and the sin in others. Because sin reveals through the law my need for saving. And when I recognize, Natasha, that I have a need to be saved, then I also recognize at the same time others need for saving. We're in the same boat. And that should break our hearts. What should break our hearts is knowing his goodness and not sharing his goodness. I was talking to someone. I said, hey, before we give answers, can we just listen to the problem first? Somebody walks in. Pastor, I'm struggling. You need Jesus. Duh, that's why I'm here. But can you just wait until I get to the problem? But we have so many answers. And you know what we struggle with if we're just honest? The same regurgitation of answers that we give people, we don't take for ourselves. And what makes you a hypocrite is you know it and it doesn't move you. Yes, there are times when we're all struggling and sitting in that same space. And I feel a Kanye West spirit rising up in me. You ain't got the answers. But what I do have is I'm able and I will, I'm willing to walk with you till we both can come to the same conclusion. And here's the beauty. And if we get to that answer and we both have two separate answers, can we wrestle together? And what I'm seeing, man, that people's idea of what family and relationships really truly mean are so distorted. My boys are my boys whether they look like me or not. I may not like what they do, but they still mine. And so we're in family. No, I don't like what you do. But there are things in me that you don't like. Is there a way that we can still be in relationship? Because here's what I want to end with. Grace deals with the root. Mercy deals with the results. His mercy is renewed every morning. And so mercy reflects my missing the mark, that we all need mercy. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Grace deals with the sin, the root of sin. And so while we were yet sinners, we didn't earn it. He came. And then you look at grace and, and, and grace is the gift. We're saved. How? Through grace. What? By the faith of Jesus Christ. Through believing in Jesus Christ. So he, as we talked about last week, he initiates the relationship. He called you. We ain't smart enough to go to God first. It ain't in us. But he put, as Ecclesiastes 3 says, he puts... Uh, eternity in our hearts. And so we build idols to deal with the fact that there's something in us. And that's why when we look at idolatry, idolatry in the end is simple. You keep pulling it. You keep pulling it. 
Most sin, the root of sin is idolatry itself. And we just build these little things to self. And so this is going to be a loving church. We're also going to be merciful. You know, some of my biggest disappointments, just being honest, man, it ain't about me at all. But some of my biggest disappointments is that if I'm not careful, it, was, it would be because uh, people are not meeting my expectations. And it's all about Jesus. People let us down because they don't meet our expectations. But if we're going to live a loving um, demonstration of Christ, our hearts should be broken, not because they let us down, because we see ourselves needing Jesus. That's the, that's the perception. In other words, that's the lens in which we look. Because people can be in relationship with one another and not love one another. And they do everything that's required. Give an example. Most, some of us are in a relationship with our jobs and you hate it. But you there. And then when that direct deposit hit, you still mad. They should be paying me more. So it's possible to be in a relationship with people that you don't like and that you don't consider because you benefit from the relationship. Let us be mindful of although we see the Sanhedrin do this, man, just respond the way they responded and how angry they were. And no, you ain't going out and stoning nobody. We ain't going, and we, and let's just be honest, many of us, we ain't going out to be stoned. We just have built walls where we don't love people. We just push people away from us. And the baggage that we carry with us is the lens of which we look at everyone. So no, we ain't throwing scriptures at them, but we throwing our experiences. Well, I remember they used to say stuff like that. I just push people aside now because you know people will hurt you. You're absolutely right. And you hurt people. So what are we going to do now? And so if you're here, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to identify in this one sense with the Sanhedrin as, no, we're not going to stone people, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus has an answer for that. We murder people with our words. And the thing that the internet has created is a distance between people. That I can, I can look at you and not see your humanity because it's a screen between us. And so as we understand what grace is and we understand that even in Stephen's death, they are celebrating Saul, who we know as Paul. But in Paul's conversion, tell him what he must suffer for my name's sake. So even in the moment of distress for this young church, you know what happens? 
even in this moment that seems so disastrous for the church. You know what happens? When we, when we open up book, um, Acts chapter 8, the church spreads. So God can use the most hurtful, harmful experiences of our life and advance his kingdom. So what hope do we live with? The hope that we live with is the reason why Stephen was in such peace in the midst of all of it and was able to see Jesus standing in attention. It's because he was full of God's spirit. That was Pastor Antoine continuing in the book of Acts with the Jesus Movement. If you are blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are in Charlotte or the surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina, Sundays at 1033. You can also join us online Sundays on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and check out our Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go back and hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.